I don't know about you, but me personally, the first cold breeze of August, my car turns into a pumpkin spice latte. I'm ready to go to Spirit Halloween, maybe a little stop at Yates for some cider donuts if there's time. I'm over summer. I saw a meme going around uh, the Internet that said uh, the only reason people like summer is because for 12 years we got a three-month vacation because of it back when we were in school and that uh, it's actually a miserable season. I wouldn't call it a miserable season. I do like I do like summer, but I do like fall a heck of a lot more uh, now that I'm no longer having to deal with back to school. That's the thing, kids. Once you grow up, there is no such thing as back to school because you don't get a summer vacation. On that positive note, let's uh, let's delve into what you need to know. First thing here on this Friday, we're almost there. Uh, Emergency. Maui's Emergency Management Agency Director, Herman Andaya, he's stepping down, citing unspecified health reasons. Andaya is facing harsh criticism for not sounding the emergency alarms on August 8th to warn people of the wildfires that have claimed the lives of 111 people so far. And I'm sure that number will be updated very soon. A CBS reporter asked Andaya if he regretted not sounding the emergency sirens at a press conference on Wednesday, to which he replied, I do not. He told the reporters that residents are conditioned to run inland when they hear the sirens because they're mostly used for tsunami warnings. And he said that would have sent people into harm's way. Maui County Mayor says that they will be placing someone new in that position as soon as possible. And uh, we still have those wildfires blazing in Canada. We've kind of forgot about that. A massive wildfire, uh, it's prompting the evacuation of an entire Canadian town. But as you hear Fox's Susie Guzman report, not everyone's able to leave. People attempting to abide by the order to leave Yellowknife, a town in northern Canada, rushed to the airport only to be turned away because evacuation flights were full. Many of them waiting in line for hours only to be sent away. The fire inching closer and closer to the town. It is now less than 10 miles away. It is not the only wildfire in the Northwest Territories. Nearly 240 are burning so far. Officials say they were able to get about 1,500 people out yesterday, and more flights are scheduled for today. Sue Guzman, Fox News. And, you know, I figured it was only a matter of time before these wildfires that are burning out of control in Canada started to affect population centers. I mean... I mean at this point, I wouldn't say luckily because these, these wildfires, uh, there's been no positive to them. But for the most part, northern Canada is mostly uninhabited. So these wildfires were able to burn um, and not really threaten any population centers. And that looks like it's um, quickly becoming not the case. A Texas woman is facing federal charges for allegedly leaving a threatening voicemail for Tanya Chutkin. The federal judge overseeing special counsel Jack Smith's indictment against Donald Trump for trying to overturn the election. The federal one, not the state indictment in Georgia that came down this week. Abigail Jill Shree, she faces charges of transmitting a threat to injure a person via interstate commerce. Prosecutors say Shree is quoted in the voicemail saying... You are in our sights. We want to kill you. If Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we are coming to kill you. So tread lightly, expletive. Shree also mentioned members of Congress, uh, the LGBTQ community, and other Democrat groups. Uh, She admitted that the number uh, with an 832 area code from Chutkin's caller ID was hers and that she did make the phone call. 
She told investigators that uh, she had no intentions of traveling to Washington, D.C. to carry out the threats. But if any of the people mentioned came to her town of Elvin, Texas, quote, we need to worry. Uh, Donald Trump's lawyers, they're calling for him to not be tried for the federal stolen election charges until 2026. The Oxford High School shooter's Miller hearing to decide whether he should spend the rest of his life in prison with no chance of parole as a minor resumes today with the prosecutor uh, calling psychologist Lisa Anaker, who examined the shooter and concluded that he is not mentally ill. Uh, Anaker is appearing as a rebuttal witness for the prosecution after the defense brought in Dr. Colin King, another psychologist who analyzed the shooter and concluded he was mentally ill, but he was capable of being rehabilitated and that he should not face life in prison without parole. That gets underway, I believe, about 9 o'clock this morning. An Osceola County woman died last week after contracting tuberculosis from contaminated bone graft material that has killed at least one other person. 57-year-old Chandra Izinga uh, had an an elective spinal procedure back in April, and last month she ended up in the ICU at U of M Health in Ann Arbor where she suffered organ failure and ultimately died on August 10th. The CDC has identified the supplier of the contaminated bone tissue as Azeo Biologics out of Silver Silver Springs, Maryland, who is also linked to a TB outbreak back in 2021 that killed eight people and infected 87 others. Something tells me maybe these people shouldn't be in business anymore. Uh, The CDC says that the contaminated bone tissue sent out to 13 facilities in seven states, including Michigan, between February 27th and June 20th. They recommend that anyone who has received bone tissue material from the supplier seek treatment for tuberculosis, even if they don't feel symptoms. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, who herself has received a number of bone grafts in recent years, she wrote both the CDC and FDA on Thursday saying that not enough is being done by the feds to regular bone tissue implantation. Easy for me to say. Secret internal documents obtained by the Detroit Free Press shows that over the past month, Ford has been holding meetings with white-collar salary workers to tell them the company plans to send them to parts warehouses to work forklifts if the UAW strike, uh, if the UF, excuse me, if the UAW strikes in an effort to protect the flow of parts to car dealers. Ford asked salary workers to complete online surveys to rank their top three preferred sites in 15 states they would like to be deployed to to work uh, blue-collar jobs if it came down to it. Salary workers were told that they were sworn to secrecy and that their daily work hours would be Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Some salary workers voiced concerns over safety since they are not properly trained to work in warehouses, while others didn't want to look like they were scabs crossing the picket line. Patrick Anderson says a 10-day strike of all three um, automakers could cost the economy $5 billion. And uh, I'm going to have to ask Guy and Lloyd about this. Uh, I I mean, I don't remember the strike of 2019 when GM striked uh, during the contract talks. But uh, I don't know, man. This this is making me itch. And it's it's not my eczema. I I take injections that cleared up. This, This seems... This seems like it's out of bounds, but but maybe it's happened before, and I just uh, I just don't remember it. Uh, we'll talk about it in crosstalk because uh, ugh, this doesn't sit right with me. 
Seven people from Wayne and Oakland counties, ages 18 to 21, were charged in 35th District Court on various counts of conducting a criminal enterprise and receiving and concealing stolen property worth $20,000 or more after they were busted stealing 16 2023 Ford Bronco Raptors from factory lots in Canton Township, Dearborn, and Woodhaven. The SUVs were uh, originally reported stolen back in 2022 from a Ford factory lot in Canton Township, and then it was linked to other Raptors that were stolen in Dearborn and Woodhaven. Investigators found 10 of the stolen vehicles scattered all over Michigan and the country. Uh, Some were found in Northville, Detroit, Flint, Grand Rapids, others, Texas, Arizona, Alaska. Five of those stolen vehicles had guns inside them. The 16 stolen cars are valued at a combined $1.76 million. Conducting a criminal enterprise is a 20-year felony while receiving and concealing stolen property worth more than $20,000. That's a 10-year felony. The suspect's next court date is August 25th. First thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Surprise, they're here right now, actually, as we get you ready for JR Morning here. Coming up just uh, in just a few minutes. We're and still drying out. Oh, you guys, God. yeah. <laughs> what a miserable day. Well, wow. And you know what? Uh, I don't remember. I, it, the old farmer's almanac says that uh, it's only going to get it's only going to get rainier and rainier as we we had um, from August through November. So and on that note, happy Friday, everybody. Did you get some golf in yesterday? Are you serious? We started texting each other around 1130 saying, have you seen the radar? So instead of teeing up a golf ball, I teed up a corned beef sandwich at Steve's Deli with my buddy Jerome Levin, I, I who I was supposed to play with. I do have to say, I was I, I was out and about yesterday, and it, and it was uh, refreshing to just have like a steady thunderstorm instead of one of these storms that uh, you get a deluge for like 15 minutes, it goes away, and then you get another deluge yeah. for yeah. 15 minutes. Did you have any thunder or lightning? I mean, we I, I heard two huge lightning strikes near my home, and then you hear sirens, which always is a concern. I didn't hear it that. I, no. I felt, you know, that rain was hitting the window, though, pretty hard, but it was coming down like in buckets, but I didn't hear any thunder or you know, see any lightning. I, I still maintain, I'm convinced that there's some kind of, like, pollution dome over the downriver area <laughs> that breaks up the thunderstorms before they get to us, so... Um, too, you know, I may too I dirty might, to rain. Is I, that what you're saying? I, I might get popcorn lung, but at least uh, you know my uh, my house won't blow away. Yeah. Hopefully, knock on wood. Uh, I don't know what the weather's supposed to be like this this weekend. I think it's supposed to be. Oh, it's nice, nice. Yeah, uh, it's Dream Cruise weekend, and I feel like the Dream Cruise has become more and more polarizing as 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 the years go on. Um, and uh, I thought I would ask you guys: Are you guys? You guys pro Dream Cruise? You anti Dream Cruise? Or are you indifferent? No, I mean i i don't I don't care one way or the other. I know people have their classic cars. I I like to look at the cars, and um, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun for the community, and people come out and have a good time. I think it brings people together, and I think people get to talk to each other, which is something that we don't do enough of because we stay on social media right. all the time. It's so, a really good point. Yeah, you know, I think people actually can talk to each other, which is a good thing. It's also an economic driver. I mean, it's it is. a huge tourism event. It's also, it, there's a whole microcosm of classic car marketing and sales and purchases that go on in the background of this, which is great. 
as someone that lives a tenth of a mile off of Woodward, my problem isn't with the dream cruise for one weekend. It's the fact that it never freaking ends. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's, it's, that's my Bobcat. Goldthwait. Okay. Oh, I was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to guess Gilbert. Excuse me, Sam Kinison. I was going to guess Gilbert Godfrey. Godfrey. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's Sam Kinison. It, it, but the problem is, and I think we've heard this from some police chiefs up and down the Woodward Corridor, is that you've got people at all hours of the night That's now right. ripping up and down right. with uh, tuners and, you know, a lot of very loud vehicles. It's and done I feel at 9 so, o'clock, right? 9 o'clock is, is the end. Officially. The, the official one is. But the unofficial Dream Cruise, which runs all summer, is very loud and very annoying. For a lot of folks down in Ferndale and Royal Oak. and mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, obviously, when you... When you um, buy a house in that area, you know you're going to have to put up with it for a weekend. But I also know that um, it it it's not just it, it's not just a after hours thing during Dream Cruise weekend. I mean, aren't people out there cruising and gunning their engines all summer long? To quote Kid Rock, at yeah. least the week before yeah. they're out there. Oh, they've no, been out it, there all this week, guys. We go down to get ice cream um, at the Dairy Mat there. At, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, at, at Woodward mm-hmm. and Maple, and mm-hmm. also south of there's a custard place. It it they are ripping up the pavement. But I'll tell you this: what's very interesting? They're all young people. Cruising has gone. It used to, you know what the Dream Cruise was was kind of as old the OGs yeah. getting out with their old cars, uh-huh. right? Now you look at it; these are young people that are out there, and I think that's great that they have their own cruising culture. Yeah. But we also have noise ordinances, so everybody needs to kind of turn it down around nine. That's what they don't understand. And just like the sheriff said, Sheriff Bouchard said, you know, the the Dream Cruise is is a is a nice event, but do not come out there and and burn rubber and do don't try to do donuts and right. stuff. It's too many people there. You could you know people somebody could get hurt. So don't do that. Just as your neighbors uh, have. Um gone through all of their 4th of July fireworks and you're going to get some peace and quiet. <laughs> Here comes people gunning it on Woodward. If I lived over there, that 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 would probably be the weekend I, I go on vacation unless I, I love the Dream Cruise. Um, before we get out of here, I want to get your guys' take on something. I don't really remember the, the 2019 strike. Uh, it was GM that struck in 2019 mm-hmm. for six weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the other day, the, the Free Press published um, some documents that they uh, obtained secretly internal documents from Ford um, saying that they may make white-collar workers um, do blue-collar jobs in in warehouses, run forklifts if the UAW strikes. To me, this seems a bit out of bounds, but but has this happened before? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we saw it. Um, we saw it when the car haulers went on strike. We saw people drafted into running car haulers to to, to try to deliver product. It's not unusual. I kind of think it's it's a it, for for a moment it's a it's kind of an equalizer that maybe it's a good thing that some of these uh, white collar folks get out and experience a, the blue collar burden. I'm and, sure though too though they probably feel a certain kind of way because if they're doing that they feel like they're scabs and they're well that's you the know, th- that, that that's the two the picking line right that's the two big concerns that that these white collar workers oh, I got a bigger are, concern than that what's that workplace safety that's right. the other thing oh, absolutely the, yeah. yeah I mean you put me put me, up, put me <laughs> uh, behind a forklift that it's just you don't know what you're going to good get. is going to happen <laughs> I like, can't even get out of the garage it's like Grand Theft Auto Guy Gordon uh, <laughs> style you know. Stay out of the way. But but those are the two big concerns. Number one, these white-collar workers are, we're not really trained for this. And then it puts them in an uncomfortable spot with their blue-collar coworkers because, like you said, Lloyd, they're afraid of 
crossing the picket, picket line, line. Yeah. and looking like scabs. And then what's going to happen after the strike? Well, over? there's a big question about how much work are you really going to get done? Right. You know, how much does it really move the ball forward? Right. It, it probably will take more time to train them than than to just wait out the strike. We'll be back after the news. When we look back on 2023, I think, I think a lot of us will, will remember wildfires as the weather story of the summer, maybe even the year between what's happening in Maui, the Canadian wildfires that have affected our air quality down here in Michigan. We've even had uh, two here in our state since Memorial Day, the one up in Gaylord and then the one uh, that happened this week in the Upper Peninsula. Paul Rogers, wildland fire prevention specialist with the Michigan DNR, Talks to Chris Renwick on JR Afternoon about what Michigan is doing to address wildfire threats here in the state. So you've got air evacuation starting for people in the path of wildfires in the Northwest Territories of Canada. You've got wildfires, of course, or the fires in Hawaii that have been utterly devastating. Those That death toll now up to 106. We've got wildfires now raging in Northern California. They seem to be surrounding us. Uh, Paul Rogers is the wildland fire prevention specialist with the Michigan DNR, and he joins us. Paul, it's great to have you. Thank you. So wh- why why are we are we seeing more wildfires now? Or are, are, are these are, are they just now becoming so widespread that we're getting more reports on them maybe than it was in years past? It's, it's kind of a combination of both. It really depends a lot on the weather patterns. Um, Northern California, you know, the western states starting to take off. This is about the time of year they really start to heat up. Um, up in Canada, they had a very – they didn't have a lot of snow this winter. So, I mean, and they had a, quite a few lightning storms that went through early in the spring. So, and a lot of the fires up there, they happen every year, but just the more technology and satellite imagery that advances – the people can see them a lot easier. They can detect them. So that's why they're getting more notoriety. And we uh, this year, because we had a lot of smoke from them, people really took notice out of them. And because normally we don't get that type of sure. smoke push down in this part of the state. Well, uh, and uh, and the thing that I struggle with, and this is not necessarily in the case of Hawaii, because I, that's a different situation. And, and I want to pick your brain on that momentarily. But but the the interesting thing about these wildfires is, especially if you look at places like the Amazon, right, where these fires rage, it, it's almost a necessary part of the life cycle of these ecosystems. And so there is a delicate balance, I think, depending on the geography, where these fires are located throughout the world. There, I would imagine there is a, a delicate balance between Mother Nature uh, playing her role in in repopulating and then giving new life to these to these locations, but then also making sure that people and and structures and things that we have developed in these in these locales um, to to protect them. Um, how how do we judge that, and how do we juggle that that kind of dichotomy? Well, you're right about it being an extreme, you know, a very quite a tightrope we walk. Um, like in southern Michigan, I am from down there also. Mm-hmm. For thousands of years, fires have played a natural part of our ecosystem. As we as the DNR do a lot of prescribed burns every year, uh, up a little bit further north, the Grayling Gaylord area, uh, we have jack pine that is actually a very, very volatile fuel, but it it needs the fire. And we try and put low-intensity fires across the landscape, and that rejuvenates the cones in them for, like, the mm-hmm. Kirkland warbler and things like that. And it is it also helps us remove invasive species. So 
And a lot of those fires in Canada, they're so remote, there's nobody around them. They're part of the natural ecosystem, and that's what they let them do. And it is a judgment call if we're on large fires out west and it's going into a wilderness area where people and structures aren't threatened, we can just let it go into that wilderness area. Mm. Um, and then in the fall and winter when snows come, as it naturally does, it will put itself out. So that's, you know, it really is a judgment call and absolutely that lives and property come first. And then we evaluate for the native ecosystems to, to burn those, as you know, put fire back in there. And we try always use, we use low intensity fires. It's controlled. To burn under very tight parameters to get that type of simulation. With shifting winds, obviously, we're seeing the effects of some of these fires, especially from Canada. But in terms of the long-term impacts, what 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 can we kind of glean from what we're seeing so far? Um, you know, the longer it's, um, you're going to continue, you know, we're going to see smoke for probably about, we could possibly see smoke for about another month before they start getting their fall weather changes coming in. So, uh, you're going to continue to see that. And longer term, I mean, when they're the high-intensity fires, they do take the ecosystems a longer time to recover from that, but it is part of a natural process. So we will continue to see those effects. In the case of Hawaii, it, it, it seems that there wasn't enough intervention to try to put these fires out early. Now, I, I'm under the assumption that that has then led to what we're seeing in Maui. But but in terms of of I guess if you you play catch 22 here, would earlier intervention have helped in Hawaii or or was it was it just untainable and they and they weren't able to get in? I think there's a couple of things there. The biggest thing is the wind Um, that for them that day, it was 85 miles an hour. You will never get in front of a fire with that kind of wind. Right. Um, to be able to fight it on that scope, it just grows so exponentially that it's impossible to control um, and impossible to get a handle on. Even in our you know, days that we have 30, 40, 50 mile an hour winds, we cannot get in front of these fires. We start from the flanks and work around and then we pinch it off. So mm-hmm. it's there. I, I really don't want to speculate a lot sure. on what happened. I haven't heard a lot of solid details, but it is those when you have that type of wind, those low humidities, and their fuels were right. I mean, everything was drying out, so it it does happen. Um, but I think they just had to basically you could attain it to the perfect storm, where the fuels were available and that winds is what really really drove it. Mm. Well, it's interesting stuff, and uh, I mean, the fires in Canada we've seen, they're well above average in terms of acres burned this year, Um, and and right, this is kind of the prime time for it. This is when they really start to ramp up. Again, shifting winds, we start to see the effects of it a lot here in southeast Michigan, really all over the region, Midwest, even into the East Coast. Uh, Paul Rogers, good stuff. Thank you so much for your insight. Appreciate it. Back here at home, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and Old Farmer's Almanac They've released dueling forecasts for fall and winter. The NOAA is calling for higher than normal temperatures for Michigan between August and November. Um, See, equal chance of above or below uh, levels when it comes to precipitation. So that's not very committal. But the Farmer's Almanac is saying we will definitely see above normal precipitation in September and October, which just sounds like a continuation of what we're seeing now. As of as for winter, uh, the NOAA says that we will have above normal temperatures November through January, 
with precipitation levels lower than normal for most of the state, while the old farmer's almanac is calling for what they call a great chill down. And uh, my question is, what about February or March? The last two years, I feel like we've had nothing in January, and then we just got creamed in February and March. Me personally, um, I say winter doesn't end here in Michigan until mid-May some years. Target's recalling 2.2 million candles. Uh, The threshold glass jar, 5.5 ounce, one wick, and 20 ounce, three wick candles in multiple scents. Uh, If you purchase them between February 2020 and July of 2023, um, Target is telling you to return them immediately to any Target store for a full refund. There's a risk that the glass jar could break during use. Uh, There's been 19 reports of this happening, one minor injury. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Well, I'm looking for updated numbers on the deaths in the Maui wildfires. And uh, last report, it it stands pat at 111. Hopefully that means there's good news and uh, there there are no new deaths to report. Um, I have a uh, sinking feeling in my stomach, though. It probably has more to do with with how slow and cautious that uh, search and rescue teams have to be. Um, dealing with uh, uh, just the absolute wreckage over there. But uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, The big story coming out of Maui overnight is that their emergency management agency director, Herman Andaya, he's stepping down. He's citing unspecified health reasons. Um, Obviously, you've heard that uh, um, he's, he's facing a lot of backlash for his decision to not uh, sound the emergency sirens when the when the fires started. A lot of people think that uh, life and property could have been saved if if he had done so. A CBS reporter actually asked him if he regretted not sounding the emergency sirens, and he says that he doesn't. Uh, he said that um, the residents norm, normally these emergency sirens are used uh, for tsunamis, and and they feared that it would send residents. Uh, inland towards the fire into harm's way. Whether you buy that or not, that's up to you. Um, I have a feeling that had more to do with his resignation than uh, health reasons. And uh, I feel like we almost forgot. We still have uh, we still have half of the, the northern portion of Canada uh, burning up in wildfires. And uh, it's gotten to the point now where it's getting so close to uh, Yellowknife, the capital of the Northwest Territory, that officials are trying to evacuate 2,000 people um, from there. And uh, they've been able to get 1,500 out, but a lot of people are going to the airport and, and there, there's not enough flights to get people out of there. So uh, that could be a very precarious situation. I was hoping it would it it, it, it would stay in the wilderness and it wouldn't um, affect or, or, or threaten population centers, but it looks like that's no longer the case. Um, the Oxford High School shooters Miller hearing that resumes today. The Miller hearing, uh, of course, is court ordered for minors who are facing life in prison with no chance of parole. The Supreme Court deemed that uh, unconstitutional. Um, so if uh, you have a, a rare case like like what happened in Oxford, where the prosecutor is calling for life in prison without possibility of parole for a, for a minor, uh, Miller hearing has to take place. Um, they're calling psychologist Lisa Anaker um, to the stand, the prosecution that is. She examined the shooter and concluded he is not mentally ill, and she is appearing as a rebuttal witness for the prosecution after the defense brought in their own psychologist, Dr. 
Colin King, who analyzed the shooter and said that he was mentally ill, but he was capable of being rehabilitated. So uh, that uh, set to get underway in just a couple of hours. Uh, An Osceola County woman, she died last week after contracting TB from uh, contaminated bone graft material that's killed at least one other person. 57-year-old Osceola woman, she had an elective spinal procedure back in April. Last month, she ended up in the ICU at uh, U of M Health in Ann Arbor. She suffered massive organ failure, and she died on August 10th. Uh, CDC has identified the source. It's a company called Azio Biologics in Silver Spring, Maryland. They were also linked to a TB outbreak in 2021 that killed eight people and infected 87 others. I don't know why they're still in business. Uh, they, the CDC also says the contaminated bone tissue was sent to 13 facilities in seven states. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, who has received a number of bone grafts herself in recent years, she's getting involved. She wrote the CDC and FDA on Thursday saying not enough is being done by the feds to regulate bone tissue implantation. Uh, some good news. Uh, the labor market as jobless claims fell again last week. Applications for unemployment dropped from 250,000 for the week Ending August 5th, they fell by 11,000 people down to 239,000 at the week ending August 12th. Four-week rolling average did tick up a bit by 2,700. And then here in Michigan, unemployment remains at a 23-year low of 3.6% for the month of July. We added 60,000 jobs year over year. And nationally, unemployment stands at about 3.5%. If you're looking for a fixer-upper on a budget, you're in luck. The world's cheapest house is for sale right here in Pontiac, Michigan, for just $1. The house is listed at 70 East Ypsilanti Avenue, went viral on Zillow, and one of my favorite Facebook pages, Zillow Gone Wild, yesterday. Um, Some highlights from the listings. uh, It reads as so, introducing the world's cheapest house in the heart of Pontiac, Michigan. Unleash your inner DIY guru and embrace the challenges of turning this two-bedroom, one-bathroom ranch into a masterpiece that will make Chip and Joanna green with envy. Price at a mind-boggling $1. Yes, you read that right. This home is not just a house. It's a ticket to the real estate adventure of a lifetime. Step inside and experience the thrilling roller coaster of emotions as you discover every nook and cranny that's begging for your creative touch. The roof may have seen better days. But, hey, it's not leaking yet. It's just keeping you on your toes, providing an unexpected shower of excitement when you least expect, when you least expect it. What a sales job. Whoever wrote this deserves a raise. Uh, it goes on to say, don't just buy a house, buy an experience. And uh, if you want to get in on this, uh, uh, on, on this bidding process, you have until 10 a.m. on Wednesday uh, to get your offers in. You can see the listing on our Twitter X page at WJR Radio. All right, so uh, this is a story I've been sitting on since last week, and I want to get it out there before it becomes too outdated. A new Gallup poll conducted in July shows that public approval of the Supreme Court is at a record low of 40%. That's down from about 49% between the years of 2017 and 2021. And down from 60% from the first time Gallup ever measured public opinion of the Supreme Court back in September of 2000. Now, as you probably could guess, uh, this is very much split along party lines. The high court has a 62% approval rating with Republicans, 17% among Democrats, and 41% among independents. To me, the um, 
41% number among independents carries the, the, the most credibility to me. And I don't even think it's the, the questionable gifts that, uh, that it's been revealed that Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito um, have received or the student loan ruling. I think overturning Roe versus Wade in affirmative action turned a lot of people off uh, of the Supreme Court. This was decades of precedent that they um, took very partisan and, and activist stances on. Um, also, the way the majority was seated, uh, Scalia, uh, when Anthony Scalia died, President Obama wanted to um, nominate Neil Gorsuch. I'm, no, he wanted to nominate Merrick Garland. The Republicans dragged their feet. They sat uh, Neil Gorsuch. And then when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, um, they kind of went back on that. When when Scalia died, the, the Republicans said, hey, um, it's too close to election. Let's wait till after the election, and then you can nominate your Supreme Court justice. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died uh, much closer to the election than, uh, than, than Scalia did. But, of course, they rammed through Amy Coney Barrett. And I, I, I think... I think even though most people in the United States are are torn on abortion, I think the fact that it was over overturned so quickly and then Clarence Thomas's uh, uh, opinion saying that, oh, we should uh, next look at gay marriage. We should uh, next look at um, right to to birth control, which is which may very well um, find itself in front of the Supreme Court. I think that scared a lot of people. Same thing with the, with affirmative action. And I think that um, people look at the Supreme Court right now as as being very partisan and having an agenda. And I think that's one of the main problems when it comes to lifetime appointments. I think that if you find yourself on the bench for 30 to 40 years, you might find yourself out of step with the current political climate. But on the other hand, if you have a lifetime appointment and you're not voted in, what do you care about uh, public perception of you as a Supreme Court justice? It, it doesn't affect you. So uh, we'll be back to get you ready for JR Morning with Guy Gordon. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR.